0: In every dumb and delightful way, it's just about a bear standing in front of the world asking for more cocaine till she explodes. That's Leah Greenblatt of Entertainment Weekly talking about, yes, Cocaine Bear. A film that listen, if we're going by social media, a lot of people were texting and tweeting me Said, did you see Cocaine Bear yet? Are you going to review Cocaine Bear? Yes. I saw Cocaine Bear, okay? Opening weekend. I feel like I'm on cocaine after I saw that movie. I'll give you my <laughs> review of that film coming up. I also want to review because Cocaine Bear is one of the last films featuring the great Ray Liotta who just a few days ago got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It's always good when happens, but it's always sad when it happens, of course, when the actor has already passed away. But I suppose for his family, legacy, etc., it's still cool that it happens. So for the old movie this week, I want to talk about my favorite Ray Liotta films, and it's called Narc. It's a film that was really important to him. He worked as a producer on it. There was a chance he was going to get a Best Supporting Actor nomination. He didn't, but it's an awesome film. If you like your cop movies, it's really, really well done. So I'm going to talk about Narc. Most importantly, though, our wild card is my man, everyone's favorite, Scott Rogowski, Rags Time, talking about a new documentary featuring him. He's wall-to-wall plastered in it and Why not? It's called Glitch, the Rise and Fall of HQ Trivia, for which he was one of the hosts and clearly so incredibly popular. It's going to be on CNN this Sunday at 9 o'clock Eastern. They sent me a copy. It's terrific. As always, Regs is really funny, not only talking about the doc, but also body heat, uh, what's happened with Chris Daddy's closet, his store. So lots and lots of great, great stuff there. Uh, We begin, though, with the SAG Awards, which took place on Sunday. Different this time. YouTube.com slash Netflix. Hard to find. I was just about to ask you, because a friend of mine, let me text me. because he hey, where is this? Normally, it's on TNT. Every time I watch in TNT is why? NBA basketball and the SAG Awards. And this time, I was like, no, I checked out of time. Now, I was worried. I was at work, and I have a Netflix uh, subscription, of course, by my sister-in-law's, which I steal. So I was like, I hope I don't have to put anything past. No, no, if you just go to YouTube.com slash Netflix, it was there. But I think you're right. Most people were not aware of that.
1: It took me a good like, you know, where, what's, where is it streaming? Like, I got the dates, where it is. And it was just, it was it was a few yeah. little Google searches to finally, like, oh, Netflix. Cause then I see Netflix. I'm like, oh, it's on Netflix? That's weird. And it's like, no, it's on their YouTube page. Like, that's a weird one. Do you think it was given to Netflix and Netflix, like, what can we do here? Let's try to grow our YouTube page. Or do you think it, like, it's just, how does it end up there? It's just a it's weird good one. good
0: question. I know moving forward next year, it's going to be on Netflix explicitly. But you're right. I'm not sure about the YouTube aspect of it. Maybe yeah. because everybody has YouTube, it's easier. Not More accessible the first year, maybe? That's yeah. what I'm thinking. So one year, let's do YouTube, Netflix page, and then after that, it's exclusively Netflix. But regardless, a good ceremony. Listen, I always love the sex for this very reason. Actors give great speeches. They're really emotional. They're really funny. They're sensitive. They let it all hang out, and they never cut them off. Is it because they get voted on
1: by each other? Is that what that makes this I one? Think like so. they know it's their people voting.
0: Hundred you know, percent. the Emmy Awards are fellow broadcasters, and actually broadcasting can be more, uh, uh, you know, rewarding. Cause, like I can't believe this is coming from my fellow brethren rather than a, a governing body. Yeah. Like, the Golden Globes is like ninety nine voters. You know, it's a Hollywood Foreign Press. Like, what does it actually mean? You know, the SAGs is, as you said, fellow actors. It's really people that do the same job, and they they give great speeches. I thought they did a really good job, particularly on this show, of the montages, no commercial breaks, but the so called break would be two minutes of like past clips. Like I love a good past clip montage showing all the funny moments the actors have said in the past. I thought it really kind of showed why this. Matter so much, and the big thing for all these actors—it doesn't matter if it's Brian Cranston or James Gandolfini or Sally Field. It's like you don't understand. Like for ten years. I was working as a waiter, you know? I never yeah. thought I would get this chance. Hey, I finally got my SAG card. This is what made her so much to me. Jennifer Aniston's telling story. So that, that's the biggest thing to me. I'm like, I know it's easy to mock actors and be like, oh, they all love themselves and they're narcissistic. But I'm like, at the end of the day, like the ones that really care, they generally are hardworking actors. They just want to make a living off of this. And it's really cool to see them being rewarded. Someone like Jennifer Coolidge, who like basically admitted last night,
1: I was so such in a dark place with my career until yeah. this material came and yeah.
0: gave me new life. It's just cool to see those moments. Yeah, absolutely. Get resuscitated like that. Great comeback for Jennifer Coolidge and, of course, for Brendan Fraser. We'll get to him in a second. Just so you know, as far as Oscar-wise, everyone wants to know about the gambling and this and that. So, generally speaking this, the SAG Awards are a pretty good precursor towards the Oscars. They're generally a better indicator than the Golden Globes, which, again, split up Best Actor in a Comedy Performance or Dramatic Performance. Here, it's obviously one award. But, generally speaking, three of the four SAG winners will win the Oscar. If you go by past history, three of the four win. So, you can't look at last night and go, okay, those four are all going to win Oscars. So, Three of the four. So let's do the math on this. Brendan Fraser has won the Critics' Choice Award and he won the SAG Award last night. He is now the front runner to win Best Actor. Austin Butler is in the mix. He won the Golden Globe Award. He also won the BAFTA Award, which is the British Oscars. So those two right now. Colin Farrell is officially out. Before I said three horse race, he hasn't won anything yet. But Fraser is now the favorite. Great speech last night. Again, Brendan Fraser, emotional, like on the verge of blubbering, because again, this is a comeback for him. He went through a dark place. He was not making many films. He was not happy with his life. He gets the role of a lifetime from Darren Aronofsky, and he wins that award last night it was really, really special and, and genuine and warm to see a guy who's a really well-liked actor. Now, Best Actress, this is fascinating, because Cate Blanchett was winning everything, and I'm like, oh my God, freaking is going to win. But this is why the SAG was so important. This is from my uh, copy of Variety. If Michelle Yeoh fails to take the SAG, winning the Oscar is virtually impossible. The last actress to do so with only a Golden Globe was Jessica Lange for Blue Sky. Moreover, if Blanchett wins all four major televised prizes, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, Globes, and SAG, Best Actress will be nearly cemented. In Oscar history, only one actor in any category has lost the Academy Award after winning those four. Russell Crowe for A Beautiful Mind to Denzel Washington for Training Day, both in 2001. So that's what was critical that Michelle Yeoh won last night. I'm like, yes, that gives her some real juice right now. A 60-year-old for a film right now, which is the favorite to win. So I was was thrilled on two levels. One, Michelle Yeoh, I think, should win, and it's a great performance. And two, I'm tired of tar. Like, enough with Kate Blanchett. (laughs) It's like, thank God, Michelle Yeoh won. Now I think we have a really good race now. Michelle Yeoh, Kate Blanchett, going back and forth. Supporting actor, might be the most boring race ever. He's won everything. Ki Huy Kwan, it just lights out. And he gives great speeches. He goes up there, again, emotional, passionate, hadn't been acting for a long time. Another great comeback story. First ever Asian actor to win in that category it's special. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Supporting Actress went to Jamie Lee Curtis. Nobody had her winning. She hasn't won any other prizes so far. I think this is the outlier. I think this is the sags when they sometimes like to reward a long-working actor rather than winning the Oscar. The Oscar favorite, as you all know, is Angela Bassett for Wakanda Forever. Angela Bassett has never won an Oscar before. I still think she's the favorite. But it's notable that Jamie Lee Curtis won last night. Did she win any of the others? Did she win any of those other Angela Bassett, I mean. Angela Bassett has been winning, yeah. Uh, Carrie Condon and Angela Bassett have been winning. Kerry Condon for *Banshees of Sharon okay. and Bassett. So it's either going to be one of those two, it felt like, going into last night. So Jamie Lee Curtis, that's a real curveball. Now, maybe that means, oh, she won the SAG, she's going to win the Oscar. But probably not. If you go by past history, three of the four, I'd say that's one that's probably not going to win. But maybe it's Blanchett that wins for Tar, and therefore Jamie Lee Curtis does win for SAG. Or only two of the four win. You'll get some odd times, too. I mean, listen, Regina King was so great in uh, If Bill Street Could Talk. She wasn't even nominated for SAG, and then she won the Oscar. Uh, Idris Elba won the SAG for *Beast of No Nation*. Wasn't even nominated for an Oscar, so th- there's definitely some wrinkles and some odd moments that can happen. Generally speaking, it's a good sign. I thought Jamie Lee Curtis's speech was great. You know, her, her literal <laughs> reaction—she could seriously like, "Shut up!" Like, are you kidding? And then she gives Michelle, you know, a big kiss on the lips. Goes up there and goes, "Oh, come on!" And then people start cheering. She like, "No, I didn't mean like, come on, give me more." I'm like, "Oh, come on! Like, are you kidding? How can I have won?" And uh, I thought she was hilarious. Really, again, authentic. You can tell she had not practiced the speech. She was surprised by the win. Mentioned she's a Nepo baby. Uh, self-deprecating but like genuine, like sweet. Like I care yeah. about acting, man. You know, my parents are immigrants. We came here to this country. This is what I believe in. This is so cool. And I think she said like, man, what a dream. Like it was awesome. So I thought it was really a really fun event. Again, the TV stuff I don't know as well. As Chris mentioned, uh, White Lotus won. Jennifer Coolidge won. No really surprises. Her
1: speech was interesting because she has this delivery and I've, I've done her impression of like, ah, yeah. So she has this delivery where everyone kind of thinks she's trying to be funny. Her speech, yeah. she didn't want to be funny at all. She was trying to be heartfelt, but just her way of like, Oh gosh, uh, uh, my whole career. And like every time she would pause, there would be laughter. And, and I was laughing too, thinking she was getting towards something funny, but it was just her yeah. odd delivery. She was actually emotional. And it was just, it was a weird disconnect between what she was trying to give off and the audience thinking what she was trying to give off. No, that, that's definitely awkward, right? When you're expecting
0: one thing and they go in a different direction. Yeah. How about the best picture winner? I mean, just, just a disaster. I mean, sometimes. <laughs> You know, this happens sometimes with presenters, but, like, Mark Wahlberg was just butchering everything. I want to play this
1: clip right here. It is literally him learning on the stage. Oh, I have to read these? He butchers Banshees of In-Sharon and women talking. <laughs> so here they are, once again, the nominees for Cast of a Motion Picture.
0: Okay. Oh, I got to say the names. Babylon. The Banshees of In-Sharon. Everything, everywhere,
1: all at once. The Fablemans. And women are talking. It's yeah, just, I mean, I mean it,
0: to, to, to two words, women talk, no, women are talking, but they are yeah. talking, but that's not actually the title. He's anymore.
1: like, Banshees of Sharon. The
0: Banshees of In Sharon. <laughs> <It was laughs> not a great moment for him. But I love when they went up there, Michelle Yeoh was great, obviously, but really James Hong, who is incredible. The guy's 94 years old. It looks unbelievable for 94. Yeah. I was watching my son, he goes, are he, that guy looks like he's 60. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he looks full head of hair and he's funny. And I love all the people who immediately tweeted me, Cart ride. Because he's very famous in that Seinfeld episode, the Chinese restaurant. ride that is James Hong. The guy's been around forever. In so yeah. fact, he's in a movie that uh, I think is going to win Best Picture. That was a great, great moment to see. So that's your recap there for the SAG Awards. I wish I better call a solid one, but whatever. Uh, Bob Odenkirk's new show is coming out soon, so I'm looking forward to that there on AMC. Let's get to uh, Cocaine Bear, shall we? It is exactly as the title would expect. It is a bear on cocaine. This is definitely from that factory of movies like Snakes on a Plane, uh, Anaconda. You know, it's going to be so bad it's good. Here's the synopsis. An An oddball group of cops, criminals, tourists, and teens converge in a Georgia forest where a huge black bear goes on a murderous rampage after unintentionally ingesting cocaine. (laughs) It's from director Elizabeth Banks, who if you'll remember, Chris and I, one of our favorite comedies, 40-year-old virgin. Yeah. Hope you got a big back seat. I'm going to put my bike in it. Woo! Mm -hmm. That is the same Elizabeth Banks, who has kind of been a hit and miss as a director. You know, she had one hit, and then she did the Charlie's Angels uh, sequel, everyone said that was atrocious. Everyone blamed her for it. Didn't she do all the pitch perfects? Pitch Perfect so exactly... That was her, her success. Like, oh, wow, Elizabeth Banks. She can actually direct. But then people just murder her over the... Uh or the work she did with the Charlie's Angels sequels, which I didn't actually see. But you're right. Pitch Perfect film series she did. Uh, played uh, Gail Abernathy McFadden, also, of course, in The Hunger Games. But as a director, she's done a few things. And here she goes, I want to take a big chance here. You know, we have these directors who do these movies, but, like, why can't I do something like this? Like, an action movie that's fun and silly, and let's go for it. Like, she's 49 years of old. Now. She's like, I'm not just some some young flame. I'm going to do something different. So I gave her... Uh, I give her a claim for trying something new, and it's a good cast. Kerry Russell from Felicity. you got O'Shea Jackson Jr., Dead Ringer for Ice Cube. His father, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who's so great from uh, The Wire. She! Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Modern Family. Um, of course, the late Ray Liotta. Uh, Brooklyn Prince. Margot Martindale, who I love. She's great in the movie. So, really good cast. And again, it's trying to be so bad, it's good, right? It's going to be unintentionally silly and funny and goofy. And I did enjoy it. I'm giving it two and a half Maple leaves, but I thought it didn't go far enough. I, I honestly thought there was moments that it was being a little bit too serious and should have been more campy. And then there was at times that they should have just realized what the audience is. Like I'm in a pretty, pretty full crowd actually. I mean, 1450 for the ticket. I went to see it on a Saturday matinee and like, crowd's into it and the two best sequences of the movie there's one hilarious action slash slapstick scene which is very violent but the crowd's loving it primarily young males laughing cheering and of course the ending you know is going to be pretty good lots of applause there But I thought there was too many other instances they weren't going far enough and not being quite goofy enough. So I I enjoyed it for what it was. It certainly was entertaining. But I thought, as people said, this is going to be a love it or hate it movie. I was kind of in the middle. Like, I liked it. I I didn't love it. I didn't rush out to go see it again. I didn't hate it. I certainly thought it it fit what its purpose was. CGI was good when it came to the bear. Good cast. Leona's great. Like, they they know what they're doing. It's very tongue in cheek and they're kind of having fun. Um, But it wasn't as wildly entertaining as I hoped it would be. I'm going to give it two and a half Maple Leafs. Cody was going to see it. You'll see it at some point. But now it's Yeah, i failed. I failed. I, that's okay. I, you I, were at the Honda Classic. To, you were golfing. I need to be better. Listen, all we want is accountability here on the podcast. That's all we're <laughs> looking for here. And, and the biggest thing is, as you said, it's work. Like, if I'm just going to see a movie, that's one thing. But no, I, I have to do this for my podcast. Yeah. I get paid. John Skipper said you have to review new movies. So why yeah. wife's I not going to care? A yeah. um, couple of heard blurbs from Ty Burr, my man. While Cocaine Bear mostly succeeds at the task, it's still low-end comedy horror schlock. No more and no less. Yeah. Uh, Bill G. Beary, you know, I love. He's Ty Burr's favorite. Cocaine Bear is just as good as it needs to be. If it were any better, it probably couldn't call itself Cocaine Bear. <laughs> and, and Gary M. Kramer of Salon.com. Many of the set pieces in director Osweth Banks' one-joke film are shocking because they're so boring. The mm. film promises laughs and scares, but manages to deliver neither. That's a little harsh. There, there's some good laughs. There's not a lot of scares, but there's some good laughs. There's funny stuff. Um, let's quickly do NARC, just because I wanted to pay tribute to Ray Liotta. The synopsis is this. When the trail goes cold on a murder investigation of a policeman, an undercover narcotics officer is lured back to the force to help solve the case. This is a terrific, gritty police film. It came out in 2002. I forgot to do it last year. It would have been the 20th anniversary, but it's written and directed by a guy named Joe Carnahan. He shot it in Toronto, my hometown. When he went on location shooting, he said, take me to the biggest slum that Toronto has. We're going to make this look really grimy because we're going to shoot it in Detroit. Took him to Regent Park, and he looked around and goes, this wouldn't be in the top 50 worst slums in America. But okay, we'll try to make it as bad as it can be. And there's a great opening sequence. Jason Patrick plays the cop who is chasing a guy who has abducted a baby who is on drugs. And Because I know the area, I can see him running through Regent Park trying to chase this guy down. It's a really riveting open sequence. But Patrick's a, a beat-up detective. He's a guy who's on the force, but he's got some baggage. He gets paired with Ray Liotta's character, Henry. Oak good name, because Henry Oak looks like a tree. It's Ray Liotta, but it's a different Ray Liotta. He actually was wearing shoulder pads in the movie to look even bigger, put on like 25 pounds, as he said, a little bit of muscle, but mostly fat. I just wanted to look big and more imposing. Wolfish goatee. He said he would put like, he was eating a lot of soy to make his face look heavier. When you watch the film, you go, it's Ray Liotta, but it looks like an aged, like a heavier, decrepit Ray Liotta in some ways. And he's awesome. He's a character who's got some baggage, and what the movie is about is him trying to find justice to what happened to his friend, one of the cops that got killed. So they start interrogating suspects around the loose. Eventually, they get to bust a rhymes. That's right, bust a bust. And they end up uh, imprisoning him and somebody else and torturing them and trying to find out what happened. I'm not going to spoil anything further than that. But again, if you like a good cop film, it's tight, lean, 100 minutes. Uh, Leota is fantastic. It was one of his best performances. There's one sequence, he has a monologue talking about his wife passing away. It's it's some of the best work of really Leota's career. And Carnahan's so good, he's shooting it in the car and the camera's just slowly drifting around. There's like a, a tree branch in the shot. I think on the director commentary he said, I specifically framed it that way because what he's saying has been obscured for so long and then once the camera shifts around and the tree branch is gone, now the truth has been revealed. It's always fun when you hear white directors shoot things a certain way, but it's got a great ending to the movie. It is surprising and genuine. And I know a great director in Billy Friedkin, remember he said when he saw Narc, of course he did The French Connection. He goes, wow, this guy Joe Carnahan is going to be really good. He has not had a great career to be honest, but I thought it was a really promising opening film. And again, Leota, Jason Patrick, terrific in that movie. It's called Narc. Uh, I would give it for my beliefs. A couple of reviews for you. Jeff Pavier of Toronto Star, one of my favorite critics. Jason Patrick and Ray Liotta make for one splendidly cast pair. Um, Moira McDonald, Seattle Times, a good cop movie. And Mick LaSalle. There are things to admire about NARC, but they're individual things, not the movie as a whole. Oh, come on, it's still a really good movie, Mick. Anyways, that's NARC. That's Cocaine Bear. Take a quick break. Come back with my boy, Rags. As promised, it is time for Rags time. He is one of our all-time favorites here on the podcast and just one of my very good friends. And he is back in a big-time way here. Glitch, which is a new documentary coming out on CNN this Sunday at 9 o'clock Eastern. I've had the privilege of seeing it. It is tremendous. It's about the rise and fall of HQ trivia. It's produced by CNN Films, thus, which is why it will be on CNN. And this is the first of Rags's I don't want to say, multi-city tour.
2: Multi-Zoom tour. Multi-Zoom tour. Multi-Zoom tour, tour,
0: and the first stop is here in Cinephile. First and foremost, Rags, how are you? I I just told someone at MLB Network the other day, I think it was Kimiati or uh, uh, Ian, one of the producers, goes, how's Rags? And I go, he has a documentary coming out. They go, it's his documentary. I go, it might as well be. It's all about him. It's the rise and fall of HQ, but you're featured in virtually every other clip of this movie. It's incredible. It
2: also features my rise and fall, which is nice. (laughs) It's funny how that works. My my. HQ's rise and fall and my rise and fall coincided. (laughs) uh, HQ's fall led to me meeting you, Adnia. Let's let's be honest here. So it put us together, and now it's full circle. It's so good to be back here. But I want to say I'm back in more ways than one. Yes, I'll be on your TV screens. I'll be back on your screens with, with the glitch documentary. But... I'm back in my own body, Adnan. Today, I just ended my three-week detox cleanse. Detox Gosh. cleanse. Yeah, I've I have caffeine coursing through my veins for the first time in three weeks. I have chocolate chip pancakes yes. in my bloodstream right now for the first time in three weeks. I had no dairy, no sugar, no simple carbs, oh. no caffeine, no alcohol for three weeks. For this complicated reason, I don't need to get into. it, But I've had some yeah. stomach issues for four okay. or five years. But- Guess what? The cleanse didn't do jack for my issues. <laughs> Uh, and it didn't give me more energy. The was like, oh, this will give you more energy. You can feel great. I was going to bed like ten o'clock, 10 o'clock every night. I was exhausted all the time. But now I have the caffeine in me. I'm ready to go, baby. I needed that. Well,
0: okay. Whole so many questions. Because my first thing is, you're in, yeah. great Listen, Cody, yeah. in great shape. Listen, Cody, Rags in great shape. I probably legit. lost He's-
2: five pounds. I didn't need to. Rags is six foot, six one, six two. I lost a few inches too on this cleanse, so now I'm down to five eleven. Yeah, we worked
0: probably about one seventy. He's like lean. I was like one seventy five. I
2: honestly, I might be like one sixty five now after this three week thing. I'm I'm wasting away. I also ran. I also bumped my car into someone. I hear Adnan. On the freeway, you, you recognize this old lady got out and she just touched my forehead, my face, and said, "Thinner, thinner." <laughs> King, that's right. <laughs> so I don't know if that has anything to do with it either, but it just so—it's that also happened while I started the cleanse. So, Who knows what what happened here,
0: dude? I, let's see if it was an alcohol thing. Not that you're a big drinker, but I get that. Fine, detox. No, I—I'm—I'm right? I'm pretty detoxed as
2: it is. Like I told right. the guy, I'm like, look, this you probably isn't going to work. I think it's a structural issue. I'm pretty sure I have a hiatal hernia. OK, I went to I got an endoscopy a couple years ago. They showed mild hyaluron hernia. I've done some research. It sits right in the top of the diaphragm. And basically, I'm belching all the time. I don't know if you recall. Was I burping a lot when we worked together on on change up? No, Do you recall some, me burping I,
0: I, some occasional flatulence, but never burping.
2: Wow. wow. Well, that was never part of it. That might have been LG. OK, that might have been that might have been Heidi Watney. For all, Keith we know. Is there that ears was blowing up the room. That wasn't me. <laughs> Like somebody you
0: remember, was crop dusting Eddie us in Watney. our office.
2: That wasn't me. Do you remember the Adam Sandler uh, uh, com- uh, tapes, the, 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 the Adam Sandler comedy tapes back in the yeah. day? Oh, yeah. The funniest things, formative moments, Weird Al and Adam Sandler, those cassettes. But there's a great sketch with Kevin Neal as a therapist yeah. farting during the therapy. Do you remember this? No. It wasn't me. It's Kevin Nealon playing Adam Sandler's therapist. And Kevin Nealon, the therapist, keeps fart ripping the entire time. Like, getting progressively worse and worse and worse. And Sandler's just like, are you okay? Uh, and he's like, it wasn't me. And he's trying to hypnotize him, He's like, that was you? That was I? It's one of the funniest things. As a 12-year-old, I thought it was one of the funniest things. I think it still holds up, though.
0: No, listen. My wife, Amy loves fart jokes. I mean, we love Blazing silence, a campfire scene. Yesterday, she was showing the kids a scene of Nutty Professor. And I go, no, they're, they're too young for this. The scene where they're just oh. ripping farts. I was oh, like, yeah. I go, that scene's incredible. That's one of the great farting scenes ever. Well,
2: this is a great set, because if you love farts, you're going to love Glitch, the rise <laughs> and fall of HQ trivia. Because the sound guy, I don't know if he was asleep, but I, I watched this thing. You can hear about 12 or 13 solid <laughs> toots throughout the film. And, and there's some Easter eggs in there for you.
0: Okay, now since you mentioned the Adam Sandler tapes, early in my <clears> career, Just as you, we put in these references to jokes and stuff, and the producer said to me, he goes, you know, I love those Adam Sandler tapes. I think the funniest song ever is At a Medium Pace. So every single time, going to break, I'd say, and I would do the NBA show, I'd go, we'll have NBA highlights at a medium pace, coming up next, blah, blah, blah. And it took like two years. Somebody goes, wait, is is he referencing the Adam Sandler song where the guy says, I shove a shampoo bottle up my ass at a medium pace? At a medium pace. He's saying this on national television
1: every night. We'll have the highlights at a medium pace. Didn't you tell Sandler that once when you met him?
0: You told him about it? He loved it. I was like, yeah, at a medium pace.
1: <laughs> but, Anand, you, you know this as
2: a broadcaster, right? You've done this for many years now. <laughs> One of the great joys at being a broadcaster, and we did this on Change Up. It's yeah. sneaking in those references. I did oh. this all the time on HQ. That okay? three people get. All the time on HQ, and it it, it really resonated with the Fish fans, the Simpsons fans, yeah. the best show fans, a radio show I love. I would throw these little references in it. I'm probably threw Sandler references into all that stuff. And then he kind of just telegraphed to those who know, yes, this guy gets it. Yeah. This guy gets it. We get it. They
1: don't. There's nothing better than listening to something and being like, did he just, and like you catch something yeah. that you're like, I don't think anybody else caught that. That is yeah. like, it's.
2: And that brings man. you a fan base. Cause I got these insane, like last night. In fact, I went to a, ready for this? This is the kind of guy I am. I went to a show, a concert in LA. The band's called pink talking fish. Have you heard of the band Pink Talking Fish?
0: I haven't. You introduced me to Fish, by the way, and I still love, uh, what's the one? Chalk Dust Torture.
2: Chalk Dust Torture. There you go. So this band, Pink Talking Fish, they are a band, a cover band that covers exclusively songs from Pink Floyd, Talking Heads, and Fish. Love it. And they are phenomenal. It is so much fun. They're, you know, segueing between like once in a lifetime, comfortably numb, yeah. carini they'll throw chalk dust in there so they're just going back and forth seguing these songs it's so much fun what a blast but i have people like i'm at the show you know with my girlfriend and people are turning their heads and look and they're like talking to each other and because i'm a celebrity in the fish community and yeah. the pink talking in fact the band itself pink talking fish are big fans they came to my store we were messaging yes. on instagram beforehand i have the guitarist number we're texting he's like we're gonna come by your store before the show they they get on stage eight thirty. 7.30, they're in my shop. They couldn't get out of the shop. They dropped like 500 bucks in there. They're yes. buying Daddy's closet. Let's go. The drummer's buying Celtics hoodies. He got a yeah. Governator Schwarzenegger shirt. Nice. Uh, the guitar has got a 4XL Obama tee, 2000 Obama campaign t- that he wore yeah. on stage. And he shouted me out on stage. Puts the 4XL Obama shirt on. And this guy's shredding. Yeah. He's one of the most insane guitars. Cal Kehoe. Sh- I'll shout him out, Cal. Yeah. Cal Kehoe. This guy was shredding. On the Pink Floyd, man, it, it it was it was truly an epic show. And, you know, but it's it's because I was dropping those fish references. Every show at HQ, I would say, let's get down in the nitty gritty. Let's get the show on the road.
0: That is a fish lyric. From well, song. And you're you always yeah. known for the nicknames. One of my favorite parts of Glitch is when it really kind of shows your ascension specifically. You're too humble to admit it, but there was different hosts. But really, you were the guy that that, sh- that shined. And they have a clip of people saying, oh, Scott's my favorite. Scott's my favorite. He's awesome. And part of it was because, as you recognize, here's what I have to do. Here, here is what... The work is, I have to present a trivia question, I have to present an answer. But I'm going to add the wrinkle of my personality, particularly the nicknames. And when you started going through the Kosher Kershaw, Semitic Sajak, Rupert Pupkin, of course my favorite can of comedy, Scorsese, <laughs> I'm like, that's where you were smart enough to know, no, I'm getting the job done, but I'm squeezing in this stuff. That, that, that's one of my favorite parts, is all those nicknames you were coming up with, it was genius. Yeah, and you know, I'm not going to say it was calculated,
2: but there was something I, I read about or heard about. How on SNL, right? If you're a new to the SNL cast, one of my favorite shows growing up, my bar mitzvah theme was Saturday Night Live, okay? <laughs> live from New York, it's Scott Rogowski, all right? So not that I ever aspired to be on the show as a cast member, but I just and loved it. Yeah. And each table was a different character. Goat boy table, the cheerleaders <laughs> table. The old folks had like samurai deli table, yeah. you know, Coneheads table. So I was obsessed with that show, and I would read about it and hear about it, and I remember hearing, if you were new to the cast, how do you make an impression? Because it's so cutthroat there, you know, the competition's crazy. How do you break through, get on the show, and become a recurring character? Well, catchphrase. Catchphrase, catchphrase, catchphrase. And then the audience picks up on it, people love it, they want to see that character again. So that was in the back of my mind while I was doing this HQ stuff, and I was like, how do I make this a memorable experience for the fans? You know, and that's where I started coming up with the Kimura numero uno and the let's get down to the nitty gritty and just, you know, trying to repeatable things, maybe things that I can variate, you know, make variable. Like I would ever, I would say I'm live from the greatest city on Earth, Dubuque, Iowa. I'm live from the greatest <laughs> city on earth, Walla Walla, Washington. And every night I would change the name of the city to some obscure town in America. Yeah. I can't tell you many people. I get tweets afterwards. Are you really in Walla Walla? Yeah. Come by. I'll buy you a drink. It's like, dude. You say come traveling around in my with setup once. It's like yeah. no, I wasn't. Like, no, we were in Soho the entire time <laughs> in this little green screen studio. But that was fun for me, coming up with nickname different names for the dollar bills, nicknames for myself. It was all part of the let's keep it fresh for one, because I'm doing the same thing every night, twice a day for the lot for a lot of it at the start. How do I keep it fresh for myself? How do we get excited for the audience? Like, what's he going to say this time? Well, how is he going to, where is he going to shout out his town from? Where? What's, how is he
0: going to nickname the, the $5,000 prize or whatever it was? And I think one of the great aspects of Glitch, why everyone should enjoy it is you really got to enjoy a moment. Like you know, when someone is having a moment, Scott Rogowski did that, and that's what the doc illuminates so well. When we worked together, I knew you were a big deal. I knew HQ was very popular. You'd played in the Celebrity All-Star Game, but I didn't realize the level to which the Phantom did. How popular this game was around the world. Like when they when they start showing the numbers, two million users at a certain time, and you had told me a little bit. Oh, I was on Colbert Show, sure I did the Today Show, but once you see that whole sequence, like no, The Rock is shouting you out. De Niro was with you, and you were like, yeah. I was not getting mobbed in the streets, but yes, people knew who I was. I'm going to get a pizza. I was like Scott, 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 like that. As you said afterwards, at the end of the document, like it felt so surreal to go through. Like, did that actually happen? Yeah, it did. No. It,
2: it, it's yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. I look back; it, it, it's one of those things where I don't know. It, it could have been someone else's life, and I just was sort of uh, disassociating the whole time. But to me, man, like the fact that Joe Girardi was one of those two million people playing <laughs> the game with his kids Joe that meant more to me, you know. Because when we, we meet these guys, it'll be like Kevin Millar. Yeah, hey, I played your game, you know, yeah. Glendon Rush. Like (laughs) like I was getting dude, see, there are things in the documentary that aren't that that couldn't make it in or I forgot to mention, but just I was thinking about this stuff. The surreality of it all. There was a time, picture this Adnan. circa summer of 2018. I am in a back of a pickup truck driven by former two time all-star, I believe rookie of the year, Houston Street. Yes. Driving the the truck in the back seat. I think pasture seat was former Reds, Indians outfielder Drew Stubbs. (laughs) Teammates at University of Texas, okay? And in the back seat with me, Lance Armstrong. Okay? We're on our way to a bar in Austin, just hanging out. Houston Street, Drew Stubbs, Lance Armstrong, wow. and Scott yeah. Rogowski. What a car. One of those, maybe two of those don't fit. <laughs> but I'm hanging. I'm in Lance's house. He goes, yeah, come by. Swing by. I'm hanging out at his house, meeting his daughters, just shooting the shit, having a beer at his kitchen table. Right. This was this was a, a, a that was a slice of my life circa 2018 because Lance Armstrong was a fan. He played right. HQ. He's DMing me. He stuck a I mean, needle up. It your blew house. my <laughs> mind, dude. I blew my mind. He stuck I, a needle up here. You ass. know, I, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not gonna give any credence to that. Lance was a good hang. He's a good dude, and uh, that's all I'll say about that. It was a thrill for me to be just hanging out with these guys. You know, but then it does come to the point where it's like. Do I let that part overwhelm me where it's just yeah. like, what you know, let's say, I don't know, David Duke wanted to reach out to me, <laughs> David Duke, DM, maybe David Duke played HQ. Would I be so enamored <laughs> by the fact that David Duke knows who I am? The, yeah, Dave, let's. Right, I'll go down to the Georgia. Klan,
0: but I'm just curious. What I'll
2: go take. to a meeting with you. Let's go to a rally. <laughs> like <okay>. I, <laughs> I feel like you're the kind of guy who would do that, Adnan. You know, so you, Kyle Rittenhouse. Hey, sure. Adnan, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. <laughs> I want you to come hang with me. I'm doing a rally with uh, with, with, with with Don Junior. and you're just out there with Rittenhouse and Don, and and DJ. You do it.
0: Just for the story. right? Just, just for the story. story. Here's one of the things that's great about the doc is there's so many different reasons as to why HQ trivia ended up having its decline. A big one, a massive one is Russ. He's one of the co-creators and just comes across, and by the way, it was not an interview for the doc, unsurprisingly, megalomaniac, typical guy rags you've seen like this, executive who thinks he wants to be front-facing talent, he wants to be front and center. Now, to his credit, has a level of charisma, has an ability to be, you know, salesmanship, but horrible people skills, unable to play well in the sandbox. And there's an incredible story. For one reason to watch this dog. it's an incredible story about you being interviewed by a reporter and what Russ ended up taking from that interview and ended up trying to tell you. No, no, I never said that. If you can try to tell a condensed yeah. version, it's incredible.
2: Well, first, I just want to just, just counter on one point, the charisma aspect. <laughs> I don't know if the charisma was quite there. <laughs> I don't know what the appeal was. But, I mean, my parents met him for the first time. Yeah. And I remember my parents saying, that's the, that's CEO, that's the, he's like, he was like a, a, a shrinking violet. Like, he was just like, <laughs> you know, barely makes eye contact. Right. Kind of weak handshake. Like, he's just hanging out in the shadows. I mean, he, so he was, I don't know, the sure. charisma part, but he somehow convinced investors to give him a bunch of money. Good for him. So the story you're alluding to is the sweet green incident, as it's known. Yeah. When, uh. I was, uh, you know, in the beginning of HQ, there are a lot of things that Russ was a lot of restrictions he was imposing on me and just things making my life kind of difficult and and really not being talent friendly, as they call the business. I mean, one small example is, you know, I'm doing a digital show, okay, digitally native show on an app. My name pops up on the Chiron. At least he gave me that. Hey, I'm Scott Rogowski. Welcome, HQ. I think maybe in the very beginning that didn't happen. Eventually, it's like, hey, maybe we can just have my name on here. You know, my Twitter handle, Instagram. No, 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 no handle. He wouldn't allow me to put my handle or even shout out my social media pages for the first six months of the show. It was sure. all about HQ. It was like we had a whole graphic for the at HQ trivia. Follow HQ trivia at Twitter. And we're blasting the HQ trivia account. But me, no, I couldn't have a Chiron with my little at Sky Rogowski, which is pretty much DeRigore on TV, on everything you do everywhere. Mm-hmm. Every little pod, I'm sure there's be one on this podcast, the video at, at <laughs> like, so for six, for six months, none of that, whatever. The, 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 the other thing he did was no media complete gag order on any interview requests that come in for me. So very early on, like October, 2017, we launched August. Okay. So a few weeks in a few months in people are starting to pick up. Media is getting interested. People are reaching. I'm getting emails from GQ. Hey, we want to do a little pictorial, a uh, uh, centerfold spread with you, full nude. No, it was it was it was GQ. They want to do a little. I don't know what they wanted to do, some kind of photo essay of me in my suits or something. Well, I had to forward that to Russ, and I never heard from GQ again. That 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 request never never got completed. Basically, he told me anytime you get a request, forward it to me. I'll take care of it. And taking care of it meant squashing it. Couldn't do any press. Couldn't do any interview requests. It was all about Russ. It's all about HQ. And if you look, it's. The proof is in the pudding. Every article that came up by HQ in October of 2017 does not even mention my name. It's all HQ, founders of Vine, Russ, Colin, yada, yada. Again, I was like, whatever. Let these megalomaniac, let them have their thing. At that point, honestly, I was still applying for other jobs. I wasn't sure if this was going to be a forever thing or not or you know how big this was going to really get. It was just a gig. I was on six-week contracts. So, okay. But as things really started to pick up steam, it's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe there should, could be a profile of me at some point that would be the worst thing in the world if someone wrote a little piece. Hey, get to know the HQ host. So a writer named Taylor Lorenz from the Daily Beast did, wanted to do just that. And I had several friends in common. And at the same time, they all started reaching out. Hey, my friend Taylor, my friend Taylor wants to write about you. Okay, I figured this is a friend of a friend. This is a reputable source. I'll take this call, the phone call, five, 10 minutes. I won't tell Russ about it at the beginning, but I will tell Russ after fact. So I take the call, Taylor asks a few questions, very pleasant, boom. Then I send an email to Russ. Hey, Russ, I spoke to this reporter at Daily Beast, just a little profile asking where I'm from, where I went to school, what I eat for lunch. Simple stuff, profile. Just want to give you a heads up, okay? Apparently that night, Russ gets in touch with the reporter. They have a chit chat. I'm not privy to that at the time. I go to work the next day. Around two fifty, three 3 o'clock is when we go on the air, right? 2.50, Russ knocks on the door. I'm in the studio, getting my tie straight and ready to go, going over the notes. Hey, come with me for a second. He makes me come into a conference room. He's got Taylor on the Daily Beast on speakerphone, and Taylor's editor is also on the phone, and Russ is telling me with them on the phone, okay, this is the Daily Beast. They're going to publish an article that says I threatened to fire you. Tell them that's not true. And again... From my perspective, this isn't true. I don't know what he's talking about. No, Russ never threatened to fire me. So I'm saying, hi, Scott here. Yeah, I don't know where you're getting that from. That's crazy. Russ isn't firing me. Never never heard of that. Uh, anything else I can clear up? And I said, oh, no, we have Russ on record last night, recorded saying, if you publish this piece, I will fire Scott. And in that moment, I kind of put everything together in my head. Imagine this. I'm just like, it's all hitting me. I'm like, what? He talked to Daily Beast, threatened to fire me. And I'm looking at Russ, and he's making this motion.
0: Like, <laughs> That's the single funniest part like, of the dog. Scott right now is doing that yeah. motion with the hand not, and the nodding, like, no, nope, not, not true, true. Not true.
2: Yeah. Not true. Okay, who am I going to believe? My boss, who I've already learned to be is manipulative and lying, yeah. <laughs> or a, a journalist who's sworn to journalistic <laughs> ethics with their editor backing them up, on the phone, why in the world will they make that up? And why in the world would this guy, this insane maniac, at that point, you're caught, buddy. The gig is up.
0: Yeah.
2: Right? Or is it jig? Is the jig up or the gig up? <laughs>
0: the, 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 the jig is up, yeah.
2: The jig is up. Well, my gig was almost yeah, up. Was <laughs> His jig was up. And at that point, maybe you go, all right, Scott, here's what happened. I got a little out of control last night about this interview. I didn't want you to do it. And I spoke to the Daily Beast and I made these crazy threats and I'm very okay. sorry. Like, that's what a normal person yeah. would do, right? Yeah. Not doubling down and saying, no, they're lying. Not <laughs> that's the insanity aspect of this. Like, that's the truly clinically sociopathic element of that. Yeah. Where at that moment he didn't kind of apologize. What was his, re- like, did he just not trust you I in the media truly or was it just, it- I don't for the life of me, my best guess is it's that all about the brand, all about the brand. And he's so, and again, because I mentioned this in documentary, because this is a guy who was part of the founding team of Vine and they sold to Twitter and they lost their company. And not only that, all those Vine stars, the Paul brothers and godless, countless others, all became these massive celebrities, moved off platform, right? Got their millions of followers and became bigger than the platform itself. And I think in the back of his head, yeah. he was scarred by that. Like, I created this thing. It got away from me. All these people got super famous and rich off it. He got rich too, but maybe he didn't get the fame part that he really wanted. So I think there was a bit of that, like, I'm not going to let this twerp yeah. do what the Logan Paul and Jake Pauls did and, and, you know, become this massive celebrity. So that's why he wasn't letting me promote myself, wasn't letting me do an interview. I'm pretty sure that was it. I can't, you know, put him right. to a lie detector. I don't know, but that's my best guess. It's just jealousy. so much hubris.
0: It's just so much hubris. But I think yeah, and I, the hubris. You, you were so smart about it, though, because even in the doc, you're kind of saying, like, I was just riding the wave. I, I did not think this was going to last 10 years. right? I never oh, yeah. thought it would be this big, but I didn't think it was going to last 10 years anyways. Like, these things happen. You, it's all ephemeral.
2: And that's, and that's it. I, that's why I was looking for those other jobs. And um, one of the great uh, twists of fate there is one of the jobs I was really gunning for. Because, you know, I'm a comedian first and a writer, and and really, my goal was, in life was never to host a game show on an app. I mean, that never <laughs> crossed my mind, okay? <laughs> yeah. My goal was to be a Daily Show correspondent, maybe the host one day. But really, okay. like, let me get in there. I want to be a writer on the Daily Show. I want to be a producer, a correspondent. be really cream of the crop, something. I love the Daily Show with John Stewart. So I heard about all these changes happening at the Daily Show at the time. Stewart was leaving. Jordan Klepper, one of the correspondents who I really liked, was spinning off his own show. He was going to have correspondence. So that, and I knew Jordan a little bit. He had been a guest on my Running Late Talk show. So I was messaging with Jordan. I was, hey, man, congrats on your show. You know, I'd love to be part of it as a producer, correspondent, whatever. Something, I'll, I'll sweep the floors. Like, So I was kind of groveling a little bit because I really just wanted to, I know in this business, if you can just get in somewhere, yep. that's all it takes. And I was at this point, i was like 32 years old little late, to be honest. Like, hadn't really landed a big writing gig or anything like that in the industry. He had been applying to The Daily Show, to Last Week Tonight, to SNL, to all the late-night shows. Not getting – I got one interview with Larry Wilmore uh, for his show. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, met him and the – person that's as close as I got, like, past the application process. But really was struggling to get in the door. But I knew just one job, you're pretty much set. If you can succeed in one job, you get bounced around different different jobs. So, anyway – Klepper, I was like, please, something's like. Listen, I'll get into when we start staffing up. I'll get in touch with you, and I'll put you in touch with the producer. Thank you so much. So he actually follows up on that. I apply to be a producer. I apply to be a correspondent first. No dice. I apply to be a producer. No dice. And this is October 2017. Like this is getting. I'm hosting HQ, applying for these jobs. Cut to three months later, four months later, I don't get any jobs on Klepper. I end up re-signing with HQ. HQ blows up. They have something called the Streamy Awards. <laughs> Madison Square Garden Theater, the Streamy Awards. I'm up for Streamer of the Year against Vin Diesel, Dick Vitale. Yes. Okay? And who's presenting this award? Jordan Klepper. And I win the goddamn thing. And Klepper, whose show by that point had been canceled. So in four months, a job I'm applying for, for this guy, Jordan, his show on Comedy Central, I guess, comes and goes, canceled. And now I'm accepting the award for streamer of the year from him. I mean, it, you cannot script that. Uh, just
0: a t- Again, just every moment in my life here, it's like, this, how did this happen? It's just, it is surreal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's a great documentary. I encourage everyone to check it out. Grit, glitch, excuse me, The Rise and Fall of HQ Trivia this Sunday at 9 o'clock Eastern. I do want to talk some movies. You had texted me a while back. You go, hey, I just watched Body Heat. And yeah. i have never seen it. 1981, Larry Kasdan film, put him on the map, and Kathleen Turner, a smoldering performance, and William Hurt, Bill Hurt, just a complete... A, a blessed numbscope.
2: memory now, Of blessed <laughs> memory. You watched him po- You watched this movie post-Hurt. Po- exactly.
0: And, um, God, it was an incredible film noir. I did not realize it was going to be that good, and you recommended it to me. I loved it. I thought it was But what fantastic. did I tell
2: you? There's a scene in this movie which, boy, <laughs> I mean, it is straight-up assault. It's straight up rape. There's no other way to put it. I mean, he b- breaks through the window, right? He's just—he's just so obsessed with Kathleen Turner standing outside her window. He does. Am I remembering this right? Does he not run through the pane glass? Yeah, he breaks the window.
0: It's just so animalistic, and he just just animalistic attacks
2: her. and just grabs her and beds her. Now. I was it consensual? I mean, she was basically saying no the whole time prior to that. Right. You you do the math on this one. I don't know if there should be, there, maybe there should be a podcast ad now, spin off the cinephile. Yeah. Called like cine prosecutors, where you guys <laughs> actually make cases. You guys could actually charge characters in movies for crimes. And I think you should put William Hurt's character on trial for uh, for rape in the first degree here
0: aggravated rape perhaps <laughs> inspired by the classic film noir double indemnity mickey rourke is in the film and how about ted danson's performance ted Danson playing one of his buddies who's trying to keep him on the straight and narrow but realizes that william hurt has gone in too deep early ted danson pre Cheers.
2: early Danson, dancing in the streets <laughs>
0: it was that, and, and just you know the character there's a character
2: in that film and in the heat right yeah. the, the 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 humidity of yes. nolens oh That oh that 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 weight on your shoulders you can feel the humidity in that movie the heat I mean it was it was a moody film well crafted well done
0: but that that I couldn't get that dynamic (laughs) out of my head there I'm like well how about Kathleen Turner Empire Magazine cited body heat named her one of the hundred sexiest stars in film history sultry the the New York Times did a jaw dropping movie debut built a career adventurous and Frank's sexuality born of robust physicality. Yeah, that's how they described it but then. But it's truly assault. Am I wrong?
2: <laughs> Am I wrong here? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, know, you could say so robust Phil's... physicality or you yeah. could say this guy attacked this woman in her own home.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's no question that that scene in particular has not aged well. But as, as Janet Maslin wrote, sex is all important to body, as the title may indicate. A great deal of distance between the two can be true to the performance of Miss Turner, who looks like the quintessential 40s siren, keeps her yeah. chin high in the air, speaks in a perfect monotone, a lot like Lauren Bacall. I guess I was watching, I go, she likes like a latter-day Lauren Bacall. Yes, it's amazing. the
2: blonde curls. Yeah. I mean, La- Lana Turner, maybe. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Kathleen yeah. Turner, Lana Turner. I don't know. Lauren Bacall, you're right. These are all names that Cody's just completely blanking on, right? I remember that I remember the quiz Cody did. That was that was a low point of the show. Have you gotten better since then, Cody? Have you done your research? We're trying. We're trying. We're trying. No, we're we're not. We're we're at the Paul Blart 2. That's where Cody's at right now.
0: He's catching up on the classics. (laughs) Um listen, what I love about you is you're often seeing movies on the Criterion Channel, old-school stuff. Yeah. Is there anything old that you have seen that you want to recommend, or do you want to talk about some of the newer movies, everything, everywhere, all at once? Your choice. Oh, Everything Everywhere. I saw that in theaters,
2: which might have been the last movie I saw in theaters. It's been a while since I went back to the theaters. But, uh yeah, yeah, I did see White Noise the other night. It took me about three different sittings to complete it, but I did I did want to see it.
0: Don DeLillo novel, apparently an unfilmable book, and they really shouldn't have filmed the movie. Very and stylistic.
2: You know, the, the, it almost reminded me of, like, a... a, a, a uh a, a ryan ryan murphy movie mm. right uh or is it ryan johnson well, who, who did brick was it yeah, ryan, was John- ryan johnson ryan yeah, johnson. johnson yeah no, yep. no not ryan murphy yeah mm-hmm. but like the way that the dialogue is kind of very just you know it, it, it had this had this whole feel to it and i guess that's in the book as well i didn't read the book but mm-hmm. maybe i should yeah i wanted i wanted to get into that uh little creepy at times um Something I learned that I was telling you off off camera about was the whole East Palestine, Ohio connection to that movie. Mm -hmm. Of course, that horrific train derailment in real life. There's the train derailment in the movie that used, I believe, that area of the country, East Palestine, as the setting for that derailment and used actual citizens from the town as extras in the movie, which is totally bizarre. But what else? (laughs) What else have I seen? I mean. The criterion is I've been I've been bouncing around. I've been you know what Last of Us has been my my show. I've been oh, watching HBO TV, show. Okay. HBO. Yeah. Pedro Pascal, these, you're big on. It. These HBO shows could be movies, you know. Yes. Like they're just so well done. Boy, that's a fun thing to to watch. That Last of Us. Have you watched that?
0: I haven't seen it. I know video game adaptations got a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, but buzz. you know
2: what? Don't, take that out of the, the equation. I don't play video games. I knew nothing about this video game. You mm-hmm. really don't have to have any knowledge of any video games to enjoy this thing. It's it's just a purely you know, well done, like Chernobyl. The Chernobyl writer, writers involved. Mm-hmm. You know, you've just got real good drama. You have got good monsters. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying The Last of Us. I think I have to catch up to last night's episode, actually.
0: Okay, all right. So that's The Last of Us we're going to recommend. Cody, what was one you were saying to me? Last Black Mirror. Did you watch Black Mirror? It was very oh, random yeah. you were mentioning. Yeah, you, you liked it.
2: Phenomenal, Black Mirror. That's, I, was I mean, right have for, they have,
0: What
1: was the actor last week we were it talking was Jesse about? Jesse Plemons. The Jesse Plemons. Plemons. Episode. That one with the the Star Trek parody. Yes. <laughs> I told Adnan I was like that I I still think about that episode all the time.
2: That's a creepy. One. I mean they are they are all so well done, man. In the way they, you know, it's like Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone was one of my favorite favorite shows ever. I mean nothing mm-hmm. to me nothing beats a good Twilight Zone episode. And there and there are a lot of good Twilight Zone. There's some bad ones, but there are some really really good <laughs> ones. But Black Mirror is the closest thing to Twisting the reality and doing your little parable, your little morality t- tale. Yeah. All right, my, my story about Black Mirror is that came out what five, seven years yeah. ago now. Probably. you know? I'm just getting uh, to
1: it. It's like you said. You're I'm just getting to it. to it. No. So I'm just... first,
2: well, yeah. When I when I heard about Black Mirror back then, I was in Seattle and I was just on the road and I was like, let me watch. I'll throw in this Black Mirror thing. I didn't know. I I didn't research it know anything. I thought it was a show, like you know, right. typical show. So that first episode is the one with the the you know the pig. Yeah. And everything. It's insane white knuckle <laughs> episode and you're going oh my god there's so much action and this denouement and this crazy thing and the episode you know episode ends in 30 minutes and i'm going how could they top what's episode two gonna be like like where does the story go from here completely i didn't different. know it was an anthology right <laughs> like, so i'm just like holy shit i'm hooked man yeah and the next episode completely different stories like oh okay i get it now <laughs> yeah, <'cause when> cody <laughs> it's mentioned all,
0: i'm like it's an anthology right it's all one story yeah no I was like
2: how do you that was my my ignorance there. I thought that was funny, but
0: <laughs> all right. Check out Glitch. It's this Sunday, nine o'clock Eastern on CNN. Honestly, it's a terrific documentary. As I said, it's really an ode to my boy Rags when he had his moment, and he's still, by the way, doing great. As the documentary shows, Quiz Daddy's claws. You can check out great stuff there. You sent me the link. I got to get some Eagle stuff. There's old Cunningham shirt I want to check and out. And someone
2: bought a David Akers jersey off the website overnight. <laughs> QuizDaddy's.com. David Acres jersey sold. I wake up
0: sold. Acres. David, it's good. Green, David Green Acres, former kicker for the Eagles. That's as right. for me used to say. Greenacres.
2: But Addy, um, we're also dropping the fact that you're in this documentary too, which is the real reason you have me on today. Right. There's an Adnan cameo, change-up makes an appearance. So check it out. If not for me, check it out for Adnan,
0: your boy. <laughs> Great stuff, Franks, as always. Uh, give us a Quiz Daddy's Closet. Give us the website, qdc.com.
2: I actually I actually rebranded it. It's now Quiz Daddy's quizdaddies.com, at okay. quizdaddies. I shortened okay. it, tightened it, cut the fat. The mm-hmm. closet, you know, it's, it's, it, it grew too big to be just a closet now. It's more <laughs> than just a closet. We're out of the
0: closet. Quizdaddies.
2: <laughs> quizdaddies.com.
0: Scott Rogowski, out of the closet. I got I to gotta finish with one more quote from Body Heat. This is Maddie, <laughs> Kathleen Turner's character, says, Would you get me a paper towel or something, dip it in some cold water? And Ned William Hurts' character says, Right away, I'll even wipe it off for you. And she says, You don't want to lick it? <laughs> this, is, this is the kind of dialogue that we're talking about Ned. <laughs> Ned. Ned I need to meet Maddie. a guy named Ned. You know, he's dumb. That's this guy. Ned, Ned's not going to make it work. Ned Flanders. No chance. God. Breaking Ned divine. Rags, you're the best, buddy. I hope everyone checks out the doc. And like I said, good luck with the other two. You're going to be on Anderson Cooper, right? Barstool, you're everywhere.
2: Uh, I'm doing the whole CNN car wash here. Yeah, Aaron Burnett, <laughs> yeah. Allison Camarota, Jim Acosta Sunday night. <laughs> what about Don Lemon? Wait, Don Lemon, I don't think he's uh, on air He does
1: mornings now, I think.
2: Can I, can, I, can I run something by you real quick? Sure. I had an idea for, for the CNN, okay? Because I'm, I'm literally doing like 12 appearances over the course of two days. Okay. I'm thinking, how can I have fun? I like the Easter eggs. You know, I like dropping things. How can yeah. I have fun with I'm thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do different facial hair stylings throughout each appearance. Yes. So you can track me throughout the day. I'm going to start. Maybe I'll do full beard to start. Yep. Next appearance, I'll shave just the salt patch area. Shave yeah. the front right here. Yeah. Then I'll do the sides right here. So now i got the Fu Manchu going, okay? Yeah, Next yeah. appearance, I cut it here, and I have the burns and the Fu Manchu. Yes. Then I cut the Fu Manchu, <laughs> just the mustache. Yes. Then I cut the burns off, just the mustache. And finally, no mustache. Or do I keep going, shave the head? Yeah. Okay, for Allison Camarota, For Anderson Cooper, I shave the head. And then for Jim Acosta, eyebrows go, too. So I look like Hank... <laughs> I end up looking like Hank and Barry for Jim Acosta Sunday yes, nights, full Kerrigan. alopecia. <laughs> and I can say, listen, the reason, I, 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 you know, Matt, uh, you may, you know, I look perhaps different to your audience. Well, after the whole Will Smith incident with Chris Rock, I really wanted to show my solidarity with Jada, and that's why I'm doing this.
0: Like, to, to be clear, Jada. you're not suffering from alopecia. No, no, I, want no, to I gave like myself a...
2: alopecia <laughs> in solidarity. Could I I do that? Should I do that or no? Is that a bad idea? because you're going to hang out with
0: Anthony Kerrigan, it's going to be great. Bull hairless. No ho hang. No one's going to
2: recognize. No (laughs) ho hang.
0: (laughs) No ho rags. I love it. Great job. (laughs) Again, I want everyone to check out Glitch. It's really funny, really entertaining. Great job there by rags. And check out. uh, his clothing online, Cody. You can get some old classic stuff. Udonis has like some old heat oh jerseys. Dude, I love this. Ever since
1: the last time I think we had him on, I follow Rags. I always followed him, but I think he has a separate thing for his store. That yeah. store is—it's right up any sports fan's alley. It's just throwback stuff after throwback stuff. Like you got to check out the website at least if you're into sports and any and like the throwback memorabilia
0: yeah like i'm scared like i think if i go i'd be like dad like if you went you'd be like oh there's a mark duper thing oh my dad would love that i'm gonna get this like it's this seems like it'd be hard to not spend hundreds of dollars on like <laughs> just a bunch of stuff yeah i think that is the goal uh march might as well be sequels month every week we've got a sequel coming out so next week instead of *Foul*, creed 3. Next week, I believe, is Scream 6. There's a couple more sequels coming out this month, so we've got plenty of sequels coming up here on Cinephile and of course, the Academy Awards coming up on March 12th. So Creed 3 next week. Michael B. Jordan not only stars, but directs Jonathan Majors as well. I'll be reviewing that. Until then, I'll see you at the movies.